Welcome to Season 5, Episode 1 of Fire Away, Revner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer, mediator, founder, and managing partner of Rudner Law, and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Just a reminder that Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. Very excited today that I'm joined by two people. First of all, Jennifer Ansel. Jennifer is a mediator, paralegal, and workplace investigator. And second of all, Eric Pridatok, who is a senior HR consultant. So Jennifer and Eric, thank you both so much for joining me today. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, very much looking forward to the, the discussion today. And since yesterday was Valentine's Day, today we are putting Cupid on trial and looking at workplace romances. Can they really work in modern workplaces? Or putting it another way, could you even stop them if you tried? And I have been talking about writing about this, or talking and writing about this topic for years. And I've looked at the stats over the years, and every year it's the same thing. There is a significant portion of the workforce that will acknowledge having been involved in some sort of workplace romance or relationship. Some have been positive. I mean, the, the best example I always think of is Michelle and Barack Obama, who met, of course, when she was his supervisor in a law firm. Uh, so some have turned into successful marriages. Some workplace relationships have ruined marriages. Others have led to conflicts of interests, harassment complaints, uh, and they certainly can keep uh, employment lawyers like, like myself busy. So should employers be concerned? Should they just adopt a, a non-fraternization policy and ban relationships altogether? I mean, is it even possible to do that? Um, and should employees have to disclose romantic relationships to their bosses? And these are all, but these are just some of the questions that we can talk about and we are going to talk about today. Uh, the title of the episode today, which I give full credit to Rebecca for, was, you know, Cupid or Stupid, which I love. Um, so the broad question, and I'll throw it to Eric first, but uh, then uh, Jennifer, it would be great to have you weigh in as well. In 2022, do workplace relationships even work? I would say absolutely. I don't think the reason for trying to find a good partner you can share your life with has changed over the years. And although the rules may have changed a bit and people are more careful, you only get so many shots of finding that person. And if you find somebody, you're going to take it. Yeah, that's a, a point a lot of people have made to me over the years, which is that, you know, once we're all out of school, uh, many of our social relationships are workplace-based. So if you take that away, yeah, where are you going to meet your, uh, your, your friends and, and potential partner? Uh, Jennifer, what about you? What do you think? I think what Eric's saying is it, it's a, the reason a lot of people meet at the workplace because they have shared interests, they have a shared maybe educational background, skills background. So the workplace environment naturally lends itself to meeting somebody with that kind of same and similar background. Um, so I definitely think um, it can work, but I think we're going to discuss some of how it can be problematic. <laughs> We definitely will, because that's what employment lawyers do. Uh, Eric, you said something interesting before. You said, uh, although the rules have changed, so how how have things changed over the last 5, 10, 20 years? Um, well, the prevalence of the Me Too movement, which did a wonderful job of revealing predators in the workplace. I mean, they had to be dealt with, and until that happened, they weren't. Um, the side effect, which was not intended, I'm absolutely sure, 
was it made people terrified to have relationships because they weren't sure what the rules were. And that's kind of part of putting some kind of relationship, something in place so people know what the rules are supposed to be so they feel a little more comfortable about the whole thing if they do go into one. So and the other one would be COVID. Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking for a second, I almost forgot. The other one would be COVID. I mean, a lot of people are remote now. It could be, even today, someone's outside of Washington, D.C., one person's in Kitchener. Very <laughs> likely they're getting in a romance together. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely changed things. I mean, I, I was thinking that, you know, yesterday was Valentine's Day, and in the past, you know, it would not be unusual for us to get a call today, tomorrow, over the next few days about something that happened. You know, someone who sent an inappropriate Valentine's Day card or someone who thought they were in a relationship when they really weren't. Uh, but given COVID, uh, most of us or many of us are still working remotely. It, it is a bit of a different world, but hopefully that is also going to change soon. Um, but I do, I do want to come back to the, one of the points you made about uh, you know the Me Too movement and how things have changed and how there may have been people who were... Um, you know, stuck in, in relationships, and I'll use that word very loosely, in the past, just because they felt like they had no choice. Uh, so, Jennifer, maybe I'll uh, flip this over to you. I mean, how have you seen companies or how have you recommended that companies deal with the situation of, of making sure that any relationship is consensual? Well, that's the difficulty, right? It's um, when it's good, it's great. And especially if you're the person in a position of authority or the person that's in a position of power, you need to, more so than um, the more junior person, you need to be very cognizant of what the potential consequences could be when and if this relationship falls apart. Um, I happen to be one of those rare people who have ventured into the workplace romance I, I did years ago. I don't think and you're that was, rare based upon the stats. <laughs> Right. Well, I thought it was, but we're also seeing the statistics are saying people don't share when they are in one, right? They keep it a secret. So um, my folks met at work. I had a successful kind of workplace romance years ago. Um, but a lot of the time you can attribute down to that to the personalities of the individuals involved. Um, and it didn't deteriorate into something that could be negative. So um, in preparation for today, I was looking at a, a study by Leisure, a researcher ADP Canada, which is only 2019, and they said that 45% of people in a workplace relationship kept it a secret, and only 40% reported it to HR when they were supposed to. So if, if we're being told that only 40% of people even report it, that's nearly half of people just disregard. If there is a policy, 40% of people are just disregarding it anyway. Yeah, that's you made a bunch of interesting points, actually, because that's one of the things that we often recommend to our clients. And I don't want to jump ahead too far. Uh, so, so much to unpack here um, because I, well, here's the first question I guess I'll start with. Uh, should they, should employees have to disclose the fact that they're involved in a relationship? And, and if so, why? Eric? Well, I would say, really, they need to disclose the relationship if people start noticing or cluing into the relationship and start acting differently around them, or the relationship reaches a point where, let's say, they, their feud or any kind of tension is starting to show, obviously, between them. 
then yeah, then something needs to be done. Somehow a conversation needs to be had to try and straighten that out because it's impacting the workplace. Yeah, I think the last thing you said there is key. If it's impacting the work workplace in any way, the the other typical example I you know we we talk about is where it creates a conflict of interest. You know, if you have two people in a relationship and one of them has control over the other one's you know career progression, compensation, work conditions, whatever, then you know in my mind that's a situation where it should be disclosed. Um, but Jennifer, you made the, the important point is even if that's what the policy says. Um, you often have people who will not disclose anyway. So how do you deal with that? All right. To the tune of 40% of people who've been in this situation, it's, it's a big number. So, I mean, I, like when I think um, the policies are designed, like we have to think of what is what are the policies designed to try and serve, right? So HR wants to be able to have a handle, and Eric could talk better to this, but HR could wants to be able to have a handle to see, are there conflicts of interest? Are we exposed to liability for sexual harassment complaints? And how do we, and also to ensure that there's no perception of favoritism, right? Or, or some kind of bias. So that I think that's what they're intended to do. But if nobody's disclosing, it's, it's ineffective. <laughs> so are they effective? Is there a point? Apparently 60% of the time, maybe. Yeah, no, and look, I, I've I've dealt with this, and I, I've seen some interesting case law where people have been disciplined and, and even dismissed. Uh, interestingly, not for entering into a relationship, but for not disclosing the relationship, and that's where I think you know having a well-written policy is crucial. I mean, people need to understand that you know there are circumstances where they 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 have to disclose the fact that they're in a relationship, and if they don't, there will be consequences. And there have been a few cases over the years where people have refuse to admit or acknowledge relationships and even been confronted and denied the relationships. And then the evidence was clear that they were involved in, in such a relationship and then they've been fired and the dismissals have been upheld. Um, but that's premised on the idea that they should have had to disclose the relationship. And I, you know, my, my take has always been that there's no need to unless it impacts the workplace, as Eric said, or creates a conflict of interest. Otherwise, you know, I'll you know take devil play devil's advocate for a moment. I mean, the the response I often get is, you know, the employers have no place in the employees' bedrooms, so they shouldn't be involved at all. Um, but it sounds like both of you agree that there are some circumstances where they should be disclosed. I, I do, and um, the same the same uh, study that I referenced earlier, this Leisure um, Canada poll for ADP Canada the massive payroll company says that 49% of people who um, responded saying that they've had a workplace relationship or, or are in one said 49% so their company does not have a policy hmm. that addresses it full stop yeah. doesn't even have one. So, I mean, um, if you happen to be one of those employers listening to uh, listening today, get in contact with, uh, with Stuart, because um, as he said, even if people ignore it from a liability standpoint, if you have a policy and the um, employer bucks, bucks it and, and doesn't disclose, it becomes problematic down the line. You can rely on the fact that they didn't. So from an employer perspective, even if they ignore it, have one. Well, thanks. Thanks for the plug. I do appreciate that. But it's a, it's a great point. I mean, if you want to be in a position as an employer to discipline an employee or to just maintain control of the workplace, you got to have clear conflicts. And then when I get my chance to fire away later, I'm going to talk about how 
a lot of employers have policies, but they have no idea what the policies say, and they don't really know why they have the policy in the first place. So that's why it's good to talk these issues through to know what you should be concerned about. And the, the other thing, and I, I know I'm jumping around a bit here, but uh, one of you mentioned before the potential that, you know, or, you know, Jennifer, when you said when it's good, it's good. But when things go sour, all of a sudden you may have one party to the relationship who doesn't want to accept that it's over. Or you have one party to the relationship who all of a sudden alleges that it was harassment and non-consensual. So um, I guess maybe Jennifer, I'll ask you first. I mean, what can an employer do to protect itself from those allegations that someone was being harassed when, when really, as far as the employer knew, it was a consensual relationship? Right. And so to kind of um, touch on that a little bit, it, and I, I mean no, uh, I don't mean to minimize the impact on the employee if they're in a more junior position or let's say they, they make a substantially lower income because the toll on the, a person that feels victimized, the emotional and psychological toll, if they feel like they've been harassed or pressured um, in the workplace to you know being induced into a relationship is very meaningful as well. Then you contrast that with a more senior person or position, person in position of authority, the consequences to, to that could be career ending. Um, so, you know, psychological tolls aren't or aren't less significant. So the question is, what can an employer do? Well, what an employer, there's nothing in the legislation that says workplace romances are illegal. So you, what the employer can do is they can draft in policies addressing conflicts of interest and the duty to disclose um, so that HR can do their job and ensure there are no biases or or favoritism or possible um, flexing of a power imbalance. So, I mean, HR is there for a reason. Now, what if you're a smaller business? You don't have HR, right? What if it's the manager? Yeah. So I'll hand it over to one of you maybe to talk about that. Eric, can I jump on that? Sure. Um, yeah, and smaller and medium companies, usually they're privately run, owners, close relatives are involved. And sometimes you get situations where maybe the owner or the relative is in a relationship with a regular employee. Um, and you have to walk very carefully. Usually it takes, I can speak to an example if I can use one here, just sort of walk through what I did. There was an example where the owner was in a relationship with one of the production employees. It was an affair because <laughs> he was already married, um, if that wasn't clear. And uh, what happened was she would, and again, I found that when I did an investigation of violence in the workplace where she was a participant. And I had to do that. And as I was going through, all the witnesses kept complaining about how she was saying her boyfriend would get them in trouble. If she said anything to her, she could do whatever she wanted. And apparently this had been going on for quite a while, but they didn't say anything because it was the owner and they were afraid to. So once I got that, I had to have a little talk with the owner and say, look, it, she was guilty. She's going to get, she needs to get suspended. And... I had to talk with him about the relationship issue with the workplace after the investigation was clean. I let him read it. You know, this is everything they've been saying. And after the initial shock and disbelief, he came back to me and just said, do what you got to do. She, he couldn't believe it was that bad. So I ended up suspending her. 
The other employees started calming down because they saw that she wasn't treated differently than the other employees. And also, <laughs> the strangest thing of all, I was suddenly her best friend because I actually stood up to her, <laughs> which I did not expect. So that's just a, a little example. It's just, but it's very delicate. There's more negotiation involved in investigation for something in that kind of situation that there is putting a policy in place because it's the owner. He's not going to necessarily go for that. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're right, especially for the smaller mid-sized companies. I mean, look, I, I've seen situations where a small company had a policy. It was just, it was a one-line non-fraternization policy, which essentially said, you know, no, no workers are to enter into personal or romantic relationships or something to that effect. Uh, but the bottom line is the company was owned and run by a husband and wife. So, you know, and they've never turned their mind to that. And when I remember when I spoke to them about that, they said, oh, well, it doesn't apply to us. I said, okay, where does it say that? Uh, but they never turned their minds to that. And that's, you know, again, uh, you know, tune in later for, for my, my chance to fire away. But this is what people don't think about. They assume all policies are created equal. And they don't think about what a policy, what their policy says and how it might apply to their workplace, which really is the critical piece. Uh, because I think any of us, when we're working with clients, we'll make sure that policies are customized to their circumstances and their concerns, as opposed to just taking a cookie cutter one, uh, which may be completely irrelevant. So that's it's, a really key point. Sorry, It's Eric. tough too, because you want to recommend a policy to them that at least gives a blanket kind of coverage and kind of tells them what's right and what's wrong. But if you know senior management is going to ignore it, I don't even want to recommend it because it's like, it's never going to work. Yeah, well, look, there's an old saying, right? If your practices don't follow your policies, your practices become your policies. So yeah. that's, you know, the reality. And that's, you know, if, an, if a policy is not routinely enforced, then courts are not going to allow you to enforce it. And, you know, that's where I see this all the time, where somebody's fi fired for a breach of policy. And yet the evidence discloses that, you know, Either nobody knew the policy existed, or even if, even if they did, nobody followed it anyway. So you, you can't then pick one person and arbitrarily fire them for breaching the same policy that nobody abides by. Um, so it's easy to easy to put a policy in place. It's a lot harder to uh, to implement it properly. What uh, changing gears? And as we said at the very beginning, the time flies by. So it's already twelve forty nine. Uh, but changing gears for for a moment. Uh, one of the issues you've touched upon briefly is, you know, the, the risk of an allegation that it wasn't consensual. Uh, and I'm curious as to what advice you guys have given clients or would give people now um, as to how, from an employer perspective, if you're told that two of your workers are involved in a romantic relationship, what would you do as an employer to make sure that, uh, you know, as, as strongly as you can, you protect yourself from allegations of harassment? Maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, take a stab at this first. So I look at it kind of as like a two prong uh, issue, depending on the position of the individual. Typically, it's it's male, um, male, female, typically, but doesn't have to be. Certainly um, a workplace romantic relationship does not necessarily equate to some type of harassment or or uh, anything in the workplace doesn't one doesn't equal the other, but it it definitely opens up the person to the potential of a claim of sexual harassment. So document, 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 right? You want to document um, how the relationship began, 
you know, kind of, was it received well? Was it, uh, and so forth and so on. Because if the tables turn one day and the relationship falls apart and somebody feels on the short end of the stick and wants to file a claim for sexual harassment, whether it be like under human rights or under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, um, you're going to have to defend it. You're going to have to respond to it in some way. So, you know, get in the habit of saving everything. It doesn't feel very romantic, does it? But especially, like, the question is, is this relationship so compelling that you're willing to give up your career? Because if that happens one day, it, that may be what ends up happening for you. And again, we're talking about uh, more so if you have something to lose. We just saw Jeff Sucker. He just stepped down from his position as CEO at CNN. That's one I can think of right now um, because of the, you know, just the, the potential of the look of impropriety. Um, and apparently that's a consensual relationship. So are you willing, is this such a compelling relationship that A, you can't just have that person leave their role? Jeff Zucker, I'm sure he could have taken care of the both of them. Um, and if that's not a possibility, then, you know, the reality of it is, would you be willing to lose this job if it came down to, you know, this going sour? So it's something... The, the company has to watch for its liability, but also the individual themselves can be named, right, as an aggressor. So they both have Absolutely. to be very mindful. I love your point about document, 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 and your point about it not sounding very romantic. But I, okay. I had one case I worked on years ago where it was a, um, a supervisor who was male and he was dating one of his female subordinates. And it was, as far as I know, it was a consensual relationship for a long time. Um, and the supervisor, and I was—I hadn't advised him on this, but he had kept every card, every note, every little sticky, every card from the flowers because she sent him flowers occasionally. So later on, when things went sour and when she claimed that she had been coerced into the relationship and forced into it, he was able to produce all of these notes, all of these letters, and really discredit her. Um, so it wasn't very romantic that he kept them, but it certainly... Well, maybe it was, I suppose, they kept them, but it certainly helped them as well. Uh, and so now we coach our clients to tell people, and if someone comes to our client, a corporate client that is, and, and acknowledges a relationship, they will ask both parties separately to confirm that it, it is consensual. But they'll also advise them to keep documentation like that, just in case this type of thing happens. I think it's a really important point. Uh, I'm going to turn this back to you, Eric, because one of the things I've seen is uh, you know, small, small organizations. So let's say you have a situation where two people are in a relationship. It creates a conflict of interest. So normally my advice would be separate the people, put them in different departments, different shifts, you know, make it so that there is no conflict of interest, but they can continue in the relationship. Uh, but what do you do when it's just not a big enough organization to separate them? Yeah, it is tricky. Um, worst case, you pick up the old standby, which is manager of special projects, hmm. which is you put them doing all sorts of little projects somewhere without any direct responsibility. That that comes up quite a bit. Um, I mean, I've seen places where a manager was a direct supervisor, the person they had a relationship with, and they just moved them to a different department. Uh, the person wanted to continue the relationship, so that's what they did. 
I mean, there's enough different departments that if there's no direct report, it still works. I mean, unless, of course, it's the owner or like a general manager or something like that. Um, I mean, even in that case, I've seen them move people out of an area where they're on a factory floor and they move them to something like quality control where there's only a handful of people and have them work in that department instead because, I mean, production people don't generally like quality control anyway. So... So that kind of thing. Do you have anything to add on that? Sorry, hey. I missed you. Oh. oh, I think I was freezing there. I think my connection might be unstable. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, Jennifer, I was just trying to ask if, uh, if you wanted to add anything to that. Um, well, it's, it's definitely going to be more difficult in a small workplace environment um so i don't know what really if you have just a two or three person team what your options really would be in that in that case like you'd have to decide whether to like and then you can't terminate the person from an active but we also have to keep in mind if you're if you're talking about the employee's perspective you know let's say you're listening to this right now and you're contemplating entering into that you know if it goes south just be aware that you know these things can be very difficult they can be very painful so um although we recognize it does happen depending on the people sometimes you may just want to advise them not to not to enter into that relationship or you know it's not always a wise thing to do so although we legally can and although we see in the statistics that people are going to just do it anyways doesn't mean it's something that's advisable. No, it's a, it's a great point. I was actually about to offer the two of you a chance to uh, make a final or, or a last point that might be a great one to end on. But uh, before I, I take my chance to fire away, I, I will give each of you a, a last word if you want to add anything to what we've talked about so far. Um, Eric, do you want to go first? Sure. Now, I mean, I don't want to, after everybody's heard what's what we've talked about, after everything they hear in the media, which honestly scares people more than it helps them, I think sometimes, is that if you genuinely feel feelings for somebody, if it's a genuine relationship, don't be afraid to try it because you think you're going to end up being on the cover of a newspaper or they're going to fire you. I mean, don't overthink it. Just be thoughtful. You know, think it through. Make sure you're, you, you know, you really want to do it, and then take take the steps. I don't want I don't want people to be too scared to even try, because there's few few places to meet the people that are going to be good partners for you. Yeah, thank you, Eric. I think that's a great point. And the only thing I would add to that is that if you do enter into the relationship, do it being mindful of any potential impact on the workplace and, and you know what your obligations might be. But I agree, like this shouldn't be taken to mean you know that the relationships are absolutely verboten and no one should even consider it. Um, Jennifer, what about you? What about uh, do you have any last last thoughts? Very very quick. Love is a beautiful thing, um, but I am also a realist, and I say always just make sure that what you're doing is worth it and i always go worst case scenario if this falls apart how will we deal with it so consider that and get to know somebody before you you take this risk 
That's probably good advice today for any relationship. <laughs> Never before on this show has the phrase love is a beautiful thing been uttered. So <laughs> I love, love the fact that we worked it in the day after Valentine's Day. Uh, so thank you both guys. I'm now going to take my chance to fire away. All right. Bye, Stuart. Thank you. In season five, episode one of Fire Away, we talked about work re workplace relationships and whether they should be a concern. And several times during the discussion, the issue of non-fraternization policies came up or policies in general came up and it reminded me of how often people ask our firm to provide them with non-fraternization policies. And when we ask them questions to determine what they really need, what their concerns are, we realize a few things. One is we realize they've never really given it any thought. They don't really know what a non-fraternization policy is in many cases. They have no idea what they would do if two of their workers were in a relationship uh, or what the concerns might be. They just seem to think they need a policy and so they, and they also assume that they're all the same. Uh, in other cases, we've seen organizations that have policies banning romantic relationships between coworkers and yet the company is run by a married couple and they've never even considered what that might mean, why they have the policy. They probably came in a package that they either downloaded off online or copied from somebody else uh, or somehow acquired and never read and assumed that their handbook would just be suitable for whatever the needs were. And that seems to be a very common assumption that a policy is a policy, a handbook is a handbook. Uh, and we see so many policies that were either downloaded off the internet, often from the US, which of course has very different laws, uh, or copied from a friend or a previous employer, it has absolutely no relevance to the organization that has put their, their corporate stamp on it. I'll mean, give an example. Once I remember looking at a policy book for a company that was, uh, their, their entire business was designing and installing audio video setups. And yet there was an extension, extensive, about five or six page policy on how to track sales of audio recordings. And when I asked the head of HR why they had a policy about audio recordings that they ever used to sell them or anything like that, she said no. She said she had no idea why it was there. We eventually asked the owner. Turned out that the owner, when he had left his previous job, had just taken a copy of their handbook and photocopied it, put their logo on it, and that was that. And no one ever looked at it again. No one ever read it. So here's one action item to take if you're watching this now is please review your policies. Make sure you understand every policy. Make sure every policy is actually relevant to your workplace. Make sure it actually makes sense. And also make sure that you are consistently enforcing it. Uh, and lastly, make sure that your policies say what you think they say. And I'll give you a real life example from probably about 10 years ago now, where I was working with a client and they called me because they wanted to fire someone for breaching policy, specifically, selling outside of their territory and they as they said to me on the phone they had them dead to rights they had all the email evidence i said great send it all over to me and they immediately sent me the emails which clearly showed that this woman was selling outside of her territory uh so i replied back thanked them and asked them to send me the policy and they knew something was wrong when a week and then two weeks went by and i hadn't heard anything so i called them and they very sheepishly admitted that they had looked and even though everyone quote unquote, knew what the policy was, no one had ever reduced it to writing. So I had to tell them that firing that woman for breach of policy would be extremely risky, uh, but no one had ever actually reviewed the policy manual to make sure it said what they thought they said. So 
As regular viewers will know, I've written a book on just cause for dismissal. It's called You're Fired. Spent a lot of time assessing when people can be dismissed. And, and the good news is you can dis discipline or dismiss people for breaching a policy. But the policy, it's only going to be the case if the policy is clear, if it's been clearly communicated, if it is consistently enforced, and if the policy itself is reasonable. Otherwise, it's just not worth the paper it's printed on. Um, and remember, there is an old saying that when your practices do not conform to your policies, your practice, practices become your policies. It's critical to have policies that are designed for your workplace, for your specific needs. And that's why I know for our team, we're often asked just to send a standard contract or policy or handbook, and, and we won't do that. We will make sure we take the time to speak with our clients, understand what their business is, what their concerns are, what their goals are. Um, so whether it's a non-fraternization policy or anything else, we'll make sure that they have a policy that actually achieves their goals um, as opposed to just giving them a standard template. So I guess final word here is don't just download a policy or a handbook. Don't just copy it from someone you know um, and just assume that all policies or all handbooks are the same. If you do, you're really wasting an opportunity to put your organization into a stronger legal position. And frankly, when, when businesses do that, it typically ends up meaning more work for firms like ours in the long run. So I strongly encourage you not to do that and to take the chance now to review your policies if you haven't done that anytime recently. That's, um, that's all I wanted to say on that subject. That's also all the time we have for season five, episode one of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank Jennifer and Eric for joining me for a fantastic conversation that went by way too quickly. Uh, I do want to remind everybody that uh, at Rudner Law, we want to remind everyone to treat their employment relationships like legal relationships, make informed decisions rather than assumptions, such as assuming that all policies are the same. I will invite everyone to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter, and although we're still making progress on the COVID front, monitoring our COVID-19 resource page on our website to keep up to date with the latest developments. Um, but as I always say, none of that replaces customized legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Our next episode will air on March 15th, which is actually my birthday, which means I will be taking the day off. And my partner, Brittany Taylor, will be back in the hosting chair. She will be joined by Heather Skoll of Life Notes Wisdom for a really interesting discussion on wellness and health at work, particularly when it is a remote work situation. Just a reminder, the past ep episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook. And if you like our page or subscribe to our channels, you'll receive notifications when episodes are live. Last but not least, least, thank you to Rob, to Rebecca, and Mark for putting this all together again. And thank you guys all for watching. Take care. Stay safe.